I start with that video clip. Ooh. Start with that video clip because um, I find this to be hilarious. Okay, Mick Delivery, getting McDonald's delivered to your house strikes me as one of the potentially laziest things ever to happen. Right? When our parents were first getting McDonald's, they would go to an actual location, probably wait in a line, order at a counter, eat at a table, maybe even outside. Then we moved to the drive-through so that you could only drive to the McDonald's and not have to worry about it. But now, that's too hard. I'm going to sit at home and wait for someone else to bring me McDonald's, which by the way, if you haven't noticed, isn't that great when it's a little bit cold, right? You know, like nobody wants those French fries if they're not piping hot. And it just seems weird to me. There's an irony to me that they're doing it via Uber. Like they didn't, they were so lazy that they didn't even create their own delivery force. They just said, oh, let's just get some Uber drivers to drop it off, right? Like there is something in the sort of cultural zeitgeist of who we are as people that we are now delivering McDonald's with Uber drivers. And it kind of is, um, it shows me just how connected to convenience that we have become, right? How much we like stuff to be easy. When I was a kid, um, I remember movie night used to take 90 minutes to get started, right? Mom and dad would say, hey, let's do a movie night tonight. And so you'd call over to your pizza place, you'd order the pizza, and then you'd have to drive to Blockbuster. And then comb through their movies, fight about what you want, see if it was available. If it was a new release, they'd have 85 copies of it, and yet somehow all of them were gone, right? And then you're like, oh, we have to go to the second option, and you fight about it, and then you have to pay your late fees, because you always had late fees, right? <laughs> and then you had to go pick up the pizza, and so if they said at 7, hey, let's do a movie tonight, it was 8.30 before you had pizza and a movie ready to go. Now... You pull up your computer, you order online, and then you download whatever any movie in the world that's available. You download it on Apple. It's there instantaneously. And your movie night starts four and a half minutes later. And, you know, the, the Grubhub guy is just going to drop the pizza off when it's ready. That is how much more convenient life is. That at every moment things are just way easier than they used to be and we're not used to waiting for things. Uh, it just it comes out in all sorts of ways, just how pampered we are as a culture. Um, nowadays we have Amazon Prime and Blue Apron, right? You don't have to you don't have to go buy toilet paper anymore. You can set it up so that you know a thing of toilet paper arrives via Amazon every 18 days, however often you need your toilet paper. I don't know, right? It just shows up at your doorstep. Blue Apron is amazing. What are we going to cook tonight? I don't know. A man will deliver my groceries and the recipe to the door, and I'll just do what I'm told, right? You know, whatever they bring, that's what we're going to make. And we love it. We love those kinds of um, conveniences. I wonder sometimes what our grandparents would have thought of the idea of working at home. Like, we like it. Work-life balance. It's really cool. It's really great when you have a job where you can work from home. I think my grandfather would say, you can be unemployed from home, but you can't work from home, right? You know, like his idea was you went to an office and you worked. And there's all these ways where we are telling employers, I know you're going to pay me to do a job, but you still need to make life a little more comfortable for me. It is such a drag to drive into an office, 
right? I want to be able to do it from my house. In all of that convenience, um, I think if we're going to have a culturally relevant Christianity, we have to ask ourselves what a society that demands increasing convenience and ease does with a faith like Christianity. Is there a way to make following Jesus easier? Right? Do we need like McJesus delivery, right? Somehow find a way to make it so that it's so easy and so simple. And we've been walking through the book of Matthew and we get to a text today that is going to talk about ease and convenience. And it's going to talk about it in, I think, a very challenging way. Because Jesus is sort of asked about this idea of convenience and ease and consuming when it comes to following him. And he has some very harsh words. And when we talk about the book of Matthew, we talk about Jesus kind of preaching the world upside down. You cannot turn the world upside down and it also be super convenient, right? And so there's going to be some fascinating things that Jesus has to say to us in all this. Uh, we're going to start out in Matthew 8, verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Um, this is kind of a very simple passage. This is a, kind of a summary passage. We get these sometimes in the New Testament where basically says, hey, Jesus did this and this and this. And they're not particularly in-depth. We don't particularly meet characters that much. We get to know Peter's mother-in-law a little bit. But generally speaking, this is just a passage that sums up the stuff that Jesus did. And in this passage, it talks about him healing people, him providing for people's needs. Um, and it's interesting that as we go through the Gospels, we see that often this is what happens. And Jesus starts to feel a little exploited, right? He heals one or two people. And the next thing he knows, he's got a, uh, a line out his door with everybody with everything from indigestion to missing limbs, right? You know, that Jesus is going to fix it. And he becomes this miracle worker and kind of almost the sideshow that people are coming to see what he can do. And in church, it's interesting because we rightfully talk in these passages about how Jesus met needs. Uh, sometimes we use this phrase in church, felt needs, right? Which is the idea of what people feel like is the most important thing that they desire. And certainly Jesus does take care of people's physical stuff. But it's really interesting that uh, this passage taken in isolation is like, Jesus healed lots of people and so we should heal lots of people. And there's some legitimacy to that. And I'm glad that the church has started hospitals and that we do medical missions. And we do all these kinds of things to help people who are in need. But as we come to kind of how we approach faith and how we approach consuming the good things that Jesus gives us and dedicating ourselves to the hard things, I think it's helpful to keep reading. That The summary passage is directly followed by another passage that I think are, they're not together on accident. Matthew has not just happened to put these next to each other. Uh, Matthew 8, 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. 
Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus is putting up all sorts of obstacles here to following him. Uh, the very first one is he just runs to the other side of the lake, right? There's all these people that want to be healed. And he's like, oh, I am not here for this. And so he immediately hightails it to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we would call it the Lake of Galilee, right? This is just a perspective thing. It's not that big of a place. But he goes to the other side and the crowds are chasing him. It seems like Jesus is trying to put literal distance between him and these people demanding that they be healed and they be taken care of. And then he has a couple people that go, hey, you're really great. I want to be about this. I want to do this. Let's do this. I want to, how do I become a disciple? And Jesus goes, you want to follow me? You are going to be homeless. If you have not noticed, none of the folks that's running around in my posse have a place to stay at night. None of us have homes. We're not staying in nice joints. We're kind of camping out in the woods and we are sitting and using rocks for pillows. If you want to follow me, it means being homeless. Uh, he then has somebody else that wants to follow him. And um, he says, you know, I, I, I got to take care of my dead father, but then I'll join him. And Jesus says this almost harsh thing. Let the dead bury their own dead. If you're interested in following me, don't worry about the family back home. Come and follow me. And this is a really interesting challenge. Notice we just heard about Peter's mother-in-law. Have you ever noticed that we never hear about Peter's wife? Uh, we know he had one. That's the only way you get a mother-in-law, right? And uh, we don't know what happened to Peter's wife. For all we know, she's sitting back in Galilee while he's going around with Jesus, and they have some kind of a distance in their marriage, right? That maybe following Jesus meant leaving behind his wife. Certainly, maybe she, maybe she passed. We don't know. But it does, it's, not, it's surprising that after we hear that, then a few verses later, Jesus goes, if you've got a dead father, let somebody else take care of it. You've got more important things to do. And Jesus draws here a very sharp distinction between a consumer-focused faith and a giving faith. When Jesus brings new people in, he doesn't say, hey, we got great benefits. It's really awesome. We will give you whatever you want. Let's, you know, you've got a broken leg. I'll heal it. Let's do it. You know, you've got a disease. We'll get rid of it. Demons, we're going to finish. He runs away from the healing demon possession work. And then when people want to join him, he goes, listen, if you want to be homeless and familyless, then I'm your guy. But otherwise, go back home. He is recruiting people to be part of a major spiritual war. He is not, he's not trying to get new consumers for his great spiritual product. There is very little of convenience and comfort to what Jesus is calling people to uh, in chapter 8. Um, this is, I think, challenging for us, and it's difficult. And part of the reason I think it's difficult is we live in a culture that has liked to create advocacy and work to change the world and social change. We have liked to make it a commodity. Okay? Are you really upset about poverty? Buy a red iPad. 
and you will fight poverty in the world, right? Forget how they're made or who made them or how much they paid those people. Buy your red iPad and you'll fix things, right? Are you feeling guilty about poverty? Buy fair traded coffee and then drink to all the coffee you want and be happy about it. We've kind of done this thing and it makes sense. It's a way to make change. If people already have certain consumer habits, we kind of tie those consumer habits to ways to get socially active and then people feel better about it. But it's fascinating that in a world where our consumption creates suffering, that we think more consumption is the way to try to help people who are suffering. We've kind of, we have created, and this is not just Christians, non-Christians and Christians alike. We have created ways to Uber deliver justice, right? Don't get off your couch, please. Just go ahead and do little things here and there. Uh, I found this this week. I found it really fun. Uh, There's something called ResistBot, and I'm not promoting this. This is great. You can see here, uh, write Congress in under two minutes. Are you enraged about what's going on in our country? Yes. Do you want to do something about it? Yes. Are you willing to Google your own congressman's phone number? No. (laughs) Right? So just go to this, you type in your zip code, you put in your message, they'll do the calling and the emailing for you, right? I mean, heaven knows that making a phone call was already a lot of work. So just come to the bot and the bot will handle it for you. Because we say we're real upset about stuff, but the reality is we want to do it really easy from our couch, just like McDelivery. And I think what Jesus does is ask us a really important question. What if your convenience and your comfort and your ease, maybe even your laziness, is the problem itself? What if the world's a bad place, not because of government officials and not because of greed, but because there's a whole lot, several billion people like you that don't want to do anything but sit on their couch and order McDonald's to be delivered to their door or buy a product so they can ease their conscience about making the world a better place. And what Jesus is challenging us to is to follow him in a more radical way. Are you willing to really put in the work? Jesus could have gotten tons of followers really quick. His Twitter feed could have blown up fast, right? If he was just like, hey, yeah, just say you like me and you're about what I'm about and we'll tweet about it, we'll be excited. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You want to follow me? Let's start talking about being homeless. Let's talk about leaving your family behind. Let's see how much of a price you're willing to pay. Because if you're not willing to pay a price for this, then you're never going to do anything to actually make the world a better place. And then he uses, not in this passage, but later in the Gospels, the ultimate example. Take up your cross and follow me. Let's go get ready to die together. Because if we're not willing to die for this, then we're not willing to do the work it's going to take to actually bring healing. I can heal people's leprosy all day long, but the thing that the world suffers from is a lot deeper and realer than whether or not they have a physical malady or not. There are issues that are far deeper in the rooted greed and anger and hate and things that exist in human hearts that doesn't get rooted out by going to a session once and being excited about it. 
that doesn't get rooted out by one afternoon of activism. It gets rooted out by changing your life radically. And so that's what Jesus calls us to. Um, Here is what I think is the challenge. As American followers of Jesus, and you may not be this way, I'm not trying to speak for you, but for many of us, myself included, we like to embrace a simple McDonald delivery form of faith. We like a form where we can be a Christian and then still spend, save, and give our money just like our neighbors do, whether they believe in Jesus or not. That doesn't uh, make us reflect on where we live and why we live there. That asks nothing about how we parent our kids or take care of our children. That looks just like the culture and its political values one way or the other. That never ever frustrates us. That never confronts us. That takes a back seat to our jobs and our leisure and our sleep and our rest. And it encourages us always and challenges us never. When Jesus comes, he offers us a kingdom, but you don't get to live in a kingdom without a king. And we like a form of faith where I am still in total control and Jesus kind of advises me on some things that might be good or some things that might be bad. Um, I know that um, this kind of I might sound a little bit hair on fire today, right? Okay, like these passages, like give up your family and follow Jesus, right? You know, like this starts to freak people out. But here is the reality, and this is a a tension that I live in as I present what Jesus shares. Um, If I only present to you guys a version of Jesus that's comfortable and easy, I really am not doing my job. And frankly, I'm lying to you about who Jesus is. And what's fascinating is that when people are forced to do the bigger thing, Christianity gets more popular, right? This is a bizarre thing if you look at the history of the church. Persecuted churches grow faster than churches who have it easy. Where's the church growing fastest in the world today? Any guesses? China, China, right? China is where Christianity is growing the fastest and where they have some of the greatest challenges to their faith because they're being asked to really buy in and really to make a difference. Uh, If all we ever talk about at the feast is a Jesus light um, that is a easy drinking bumper sticker to add to your life, then I'm really not doing my job right. Right? There should be a little more challenge to that. So what does that mean, Caleb? You're kind of freaking me out. This is not encouraging. I am going home feeling bad about myself. What are, we, what are we supposed to do? What does that mean? What does it mean to not have a place to rent? Do I have to become homeless tonight for Jesus, right? Like, what do I do with these passages? Um, let me give you a few uh, suggestions about how we do a better job about letting Jesus kind of reign in our life. Um, one of these is we need to reprioritize who we spend time with. Find ways in your life to interact and spend time with people who are not at the same advantage. They don't have the same advantages and privileges that you do. Okay? This is a really radical Jesus thing. I am going to cut time and space out of my schedule and my life to make sure that I am purposefully in places 
where I look eye to eye with somebody who does not have the opportunities that I do. This is a way that we can be more radically like Jesus. Because we live in a socially stratified world, right? You've heard me, you probably heard me fuss about highways before, right? Why do we have highways? So that people that live in wealthy areas can drive over poor areas and go downtown and do something fun and then drive back over the poor areas and go back home to their wealthy suburb and they never have to see poverty, right? Uh, Making time to be around people who are really suffering is important. As a church, we try to facilitate this. This is why we do stuff like serve at Crossroads. This is why we try to be engaged in helping the poor and the homeless and things like that. It's so that you have some limited exposure and connection and talk to people who have less than you do. Because, uh, and you know, that's not exactly living as a homeless person to say, oh, I'll give two hours to be around people who are not like me, right? Um, Another big way is uh, how we align our finances. All right, let me be really clear. I'm not about to fuss at you about how much you do or do not give to church, okay? I want to talk about something bigger than that. Um, How much is your financial planning aligned to your vision of what Jesus wants the world to be like? Not just what do you give to church. How much money do you spend? How much money do you save? How much money do you give away? And what is your philosophy behind that? Are you doing that based on what the guy at Charles Schwab told you to do? Or are you doing that based on what you think Jesus thinks is important? Right? Um, And this is a real challenge for us. The reality is many of us still work in kind of a leftover philosophy. We're like, okay, well, here's my paycheck. And I want to take care of all of these things and take care of these investments and take care of this. The money I have to give away that's left is this, which Bible says is the exact opposite way. You start out by saying, what do I feel like I'm called to give? That's the first thing you take out of your budget. And then you worry about the rest of the stuff, right? But it even, it comes, it's not just, it's not even that. For some of us, it's your attitude towards debt. The Bible is really anti-debt because debt enslaves you. Okay, so for some of us, we carry around way too much debt and it handcuffs us and when somebody says, oh, there's a family nearby who just had, um, you know, that just had a fire. Can we buy them clothes? You're like, well, I'm sorry. I'm instead handing hundreds of dollars to a credit card company this week, right? And it's possible you're carrying way too much debt because that's enslaving you. Um, on the flip side, for some of us, it's savings. I need to make sure I have $2 million in the bank by the time I'm 60, right? That's what I was told. And so I can't do anything to help anybody until I make sure that I'm a millionaire. And that's, uh, that's a difficult thing. There's lots of different ways that our finances and how we deal with our money is one of these places where Jesus might say, you know what? I am not looking for you to sit on your couch to help the world. I'm looking to you to realign your entire life to being a positive force in the world for change and to help people who need help. Uh, another one is our time and our schedule, right? Uh, Again, the leftover versus first is a great way to talk about this. What are the first things I do with my time? Uh, You guys are all in church on Sunday morning, so you are already spending your time in a good way, right? But I think for us, uh, if we're going to contemporize this message, when Jesus says like, hey, let let your dad get buried by somebody else, you follow me, I think he would say, what in your schedule do you really need to be there? 
Here's the one I struggle with. I still spend a lot of time on entertainment and just like chilling and relaxing, right? Like if you said, Caleb, what TV shows do you watch? And I actually made a list of all of those. You'd be like, oh, so you spend 14 hours a week. I don't think it's that bad, but right, you know, like <laughs> that you could be helping other people, that you could be volunteering at a soup kitchen, whatever. So instead, you're, you know, watching stupid sitcoms that you know are poorly written. And it's like, yeah, I, I do, right? I think that might be one way that Jesus would get at us for greater commitment of like how much remote time can be replaced with service and love and care for other people. Um, I think it's also life decisions. Um, This is one that I think is a real deep level thing that we don't talk about enough in church. I know people talk about in college some, like where I went to school. We talk about this quite a bit. Um, Where do you live? Not just what city do you live in, but what neighborhood do you live in? And why do you live in that neighborhood? Um, Our culture tells us find the nicest neighborhood you can afford so life is as easy as possible. And I think Jesus would say, do you live somewhere where you're going to have an opportunity to serve your neighbors? And is it maybe that you could live someplace that's a little uncomfortable for the sake of being near people who need a positive influence in their communities? It's the same with all kinds of things. It's where we spend our times, what organizations we're involved in, Um, what schools that we go to, you know, what size of our house, how big of a house do we, like, we make lots of these life decisions that, frankly, we make based on American values and ideals instead of what Jesus is calling us to. Um, All right, so what do we do with all this? So this may sound, I really worry that I'm sounding very extremist, fundamentalist crazy at this morning, but I think it's important to not blunt the words of Jesus. This should be hard. Try to put the opposite spin on it for you. Um, Instead of what Jesus is challenging you to, let's think for a minute about what Jesus is asking us to be willing to do for other people. Right? I think we all hate it when we see a problem that could be fixed and nobody is fixing it. Right? This statistic that we have enough food in the world to feed everybody, and yet we have rampant world hunger, that's frustrating, right? Like, that makes you angry. We have enough food for people to, be, to not have to be hungry, yet people are still hungry. What is going on here, right? Why, why is there such a distribution problem? And what Jesus is saying is he says, I care so much about the bad stuff in the world that I refuse to take half measures To fix it. Jesus is not excited to create a church that sits around and clutches at her pearls and pretends like she cares about the poor. Jesus is trying to start a church that says, I am so desperately concerned about this. I will realign every bit of my life to make sure that I can alleviate the suffering of other people. And the thing is, like, that can be, that's exciting, right? Like, that's not a club. That's not like, hey, we'll give you membership cards and we'll have socials every once in a while, right? Like, that is, I want to change the world. And that is what Christianity is about. When it's done right and when it's done fully, the call to follow Jesus is the call to tackle the worst issues in the world and change them. 
not just to think about them and tweet about them and go back to our Netflix show. And that is heavy, right? That makes me feel bad sometimes, right? Um, There will be other sermons about how much Jesus loves you and accepts you and how, you know, you should not have to worry about uh, his, his love for you and you don't have to worry about his love for you. But today's sermon, because today's words from Jesus are, if you want to do this, buckle up and actually put some, put some something on the line. Put your life on the line. Because I'm not ready um, to go halfway. I think Jesus is ultimately looking for soldiers to be on the front lines of a struggle against evil. And often I'm looking for a religion that will fit into my schedule and budget. And if we believe in the kingdom of God, we have to ask which one of us is going to get our way. All right. Questions and answers. Do you guys, this is our period in our sermon. If you're new with us, where we you can ask questions about the sermon, uh, come back at me a little bit. What do you guys think? about the things that we studied today and talked about today. So how do we balance being and doing and how do we balance self-care with other care? I guess this morning where I'm going to rest is Jesus' words are super harsh, right? Don't worry about dead dad. Don't worry about whether you got a place to sleep. Just do what I told you to do. Um, I find it hard for him to go, Brita, you should turn your back on your family during the death of your parents. But, you know, I know your job is real hard, so you take tonight off, right? You know, like, like it just it feels incongruent, right? It feels like he would look at our modern life with the relative convenience and ease that we have, and he would be like, you guys have got to really, like, I just, I find it hard to believe that Jesus would say, oh, what this society needs is self-care. Obviously, you people have nothing to take care of yourselves because we have lots of stuff to take care of ourselves. So I agree with that. And when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus does have times of spiritual retreat where he goes back onto a mountain, he goes to spend time with prayer, he spends time with his father. And if I believe that what I saw in the American church was that people needed more time to go pray and have a devotional life, I would agree with that. My experience is that most of the time, When I hear Christians talk about how crazy and hectic their lives are, they're not asking for more time to pray. They're asking for more time to do lots of other things. Does that make sense? And so, yes, self-care is really important and connecting with God is really important. But um, a 14-hour binge marathon of a TV show is not the same thing, right? And, And I'm not trying to fuss at people. I'm just saying, like, this is what I do this. I go, oh, I need time off. I need to unwind. And I turn the television off. Right? Or I go on to YouTube, right? That, that is not, um, I've said for a long time, I do vacations wrong. Generally, when I come home from vacation, I'm not rested and ready to go into the world. I'm like, oh, I have to come back to normal life. Okay, I'm not doing this right. Like the vacation time should somehow bring me restored back. And we don't know how to do leisure time that restores us. We just know how to do leisure time that turns our brains off. Does that make sense? Um, so in these situations, they're, they're literal people that Jesus spoke to. Um, you do see a pattern of this, right? When Jesus meets the disciples, several of them are doing their jobs. And he goes, forget that. Follow me, right? So the fishermen are fishing. There's four fishermen followers. 
They're all working the nets. They're all bringing in the fish, doing their job. And Jesus says, drop your nets and follow me. And they all go, okay. And boom, they just walk away from the boat, right? Uh, Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, is working at his tax collector booth. And Jesus says, follow me. And he goes, okay. And he just kind of stands up and he walks away, right? So there is a pattern of Jesus saying like, follow me, like really be willing to give things up. Now, I don't think that means that everyone who follows Jesus has to quit a job, right? Um, but again, it's, we do this really interesting thing that's, I think, dangerous when we interpret Scripture, where we go, does that mean I have to quit my job? And we go, no, that's not what that means. And you go, okay, good, I don't have to do anything. It's like, whoa, wait a second, right? You know, like I heard this a million times in, uh, with sell all you have and give to the poor, a commandment Jesus gives one particular disciple. Every time I've heard that in Bible class, people go, well, what Jesus means is nothing should be more important than God. So we don't have to sell anything. And I'm like, okay, I can see where sell everything might be an overstatement, but how sell everything turned into sell nothing seems to be a very incredible exegetical, um, you know, tour de force that you manage to take Jesus' words and make them the exact opposite of what they actually are. Um, So I think that we always want to hold tension, right? So do I have to quit my job? No. But what are the the things about my career and where I spend my time and the effort that I give to work versus the time I've given volunteering or how much time I spend with my family versus how much time I'm working? Like there's all those kinds of tensions that I think Jesus' words are meant to make us feel a little uncomfortable to maybe move us in other ways. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, so like when you're talking about giving... Paul, interestingly, says that you should give in a joyful, sacrificial way. And that's not the exact words, but that's, if you take the passage and synthesize it, it should be sacrificial and joyful. Some of us don't understand what that means, right? Wait a second, if it's sacrificial, it hurts and it's no fun. And if it's joyful, then it's not sacrificial. And Paul says you want to develop this heart where you go, oh, this is so hard to give this much, but I'm so glad I'm doing it. And that's kind of a weird spiritual paradox that I think plays into this, right? How do we do things that go, oh, this is really difficult for me, but I rejoice in the opportunity that God's given me to do something difficult for him. That's a spiritual value that requires a lot of maturity, I think. There is a mention by Paul that Peter takes his wife with him when he travels to do ministry work, which suggests that she wasn't dead, right? So where is she in the Gospels is a really interesting question. Is she left at home? The Bible does talk about taking care of your family and how dishonorable it is if, you know, your kids are starving. Um, So, yeah, that's there. Um, But again, I I, I think think there's always balance, right? And I'm making this up off the top of my head. I'm not talking about anyone, okay? But, like, sometimes we'll talk about, you know, like, hey, we're going to try to do this thing. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, I don't know if I can do that because that's really, that might be hard on my kids, right? And it's like, okay, but is it possible to be hard on your kids and good for your family to do, right? Like, is it possible that stretching your children while doing service is something that trains them to be, I'm sensitive to this because like our kids, Oh, I don't want to do this one way. But, like, you know, our experience is, like, our kids sometimes do stuff they really hate, and it's not really fun for them, because mom and dad work at a church, and that's part of their job. You know? And so, um, or for that matter, you know, if we have, if you have, like, a date night. Date nights are great. I support date nights. 
If there's an opportunity to like serve a homeless family that happens on date night, date night could probably be shuffled a day or two, right? But sometimes we have an attitude of like, well, no, I have my schedule in, in, in concrete. And when there's an opportunity to do something to serve those who need help, it's got to fit my schedule. I can't do it. And the question is, does your schedule fit the needs of the needy or does the needs of the needy have to fit into your schedule? Right? Like, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be a jerk here or really difficult. Like, I'm just saying, like, these are, I think, ways that this text can challenge us in a modern, applicable way. Does that make sense? And Dave is really interesting. What I like about Dave when he does his financial stuff is he says he has three big values. You need to get rid of your debt, you need to save for the future, and you need to give generously back to, your, to, to God's work. And you don't have to pick between those three things. Like, you can do all three of those things at once. And um, it's interesting, I love his priorities. He's like, no matter what you're making, you give a percentage to church, and then we're gonna tackle your debt, and then once the debt gets to a certain point or disappears, then we're gonna attack, you know, like, and he kind of helps you know, his way is not the only way. Fran and I are not like Dave devotees. But it does help a lot of families to say, oh, let me think about our family's spiritual values. And not just, uh, it's financial help from someone who's fiscally conservative and good that also values giving and generosity, which I think is really, really cool. Any other questions about any of this before we have one last song?